You are now listening to For the Record, a Blue Record miniseries. Yeah. Check it. Yeah. We in this together. A spell when night is a warrior fighting for justice. We can never be silent, so yeah, we causing a ruckus. Lift our voices up to bring injustice down. Speaking truth to power. We loving the sound. Undaunted by the fight, love is all we need. It's time to clear out the air so we all can breathe. Ain't no stopping us, we stick together. This bond is gonna last forever. Marching every day until we free. That's our buried treasure. Hello everyone, my name is Chloe Catro. I'm a third year art history major and curatorial studies minor from Prince George's County, Maryland, and I am an archivist for For the Record. Hello, my name is Jasmine Patrick. I'm a sophomore English major from Bolingbrook, Illinois, and I am here on the Blue Market podcast as an archivist. Hi guys, I'm so sad I'm not able to be there in person, um, but it is so great to be connected with you all via phone. How have you guys been? How's the semester been going? Great. Um, I would say for me that being a sophomore, um, I'm I'm having the opportunity to reflect more. So it's allowing me to manage my time and manage myself and really look at what I want for the future in my time at Spelman. That's really great. Um, my semester has been going. Midterms are approaching. <laughs> just getting ready. Just getting ready for that. I have a couple, couple big assignments to do. So I'm trying to pace myself, you know. But you got it in the bag. Thank you. I'm not here physically with the archivist, unfortunately. I'm in Barcelona studying abroad for the semester. Um, so we're not being on campus. And I just feel like I missed. I feel like I'm missing so much, but also, like, I'm getting the experiences of a lifetime, so I'm so grateful and very excited, but I'm going to miss homecoming, <laughs> like, and just, I miss the small town feel on campus and everything. I know. We miss you so much, Alex. We miss you. I miss you guys too. But this is but like you said, it's an opportunity of a lifetime and you're you'll be here next year. It'll it'll be fine. But this is this is I know. And like study abroad study abroad's literally one of the reasons I came to Spelman. Absolutely. And so it's like I had to do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You you had a you had the vision. You executed. You're executing it. It's it's great. I'm very, I'm, very, I'm very happy to see it. I'm just so proud of you. So proud of you. What made you decide to apply and then set a time to spell it? Mm. That's a good question. Okay, so I knew I always wanted to go to HBCU. I knew I, I was going to HBCU. I knew mm-hmm. I wanted to go to Spelman as early as ninth grade. Um, I don't know. I just mm-hmm. felt I just felt like that was my calling. <laughs> it's yeah. it's hard for me to describe it really, but like what I can put in words is that I did really like that Spelman was focused, like its curriculum was based or founded in black women teaching mm-hmm. its students about black women and like it it's a space for black women. Well, yeah, and um, I just like really admired that, and I was like, okay, this is where this is where I need to be. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah here I am now. 
Yes. Having a great time. Having a great time. How do you feel with my professors I believe that I have been blessed with good-hearted professors but I think also being fresh into the world of academia sometimes it's a little bit difficult to read my professors I mean we both have different lifestyles we both have different personalities Um, but we also have to understand that Spelman is a space where they prioritize relationships so it's not you may you may happen to meet a professor where you're not going to talk to them ever, but in my experience, I've always had professors actively attempt to make a relationship or a bond with me. So, what do you guys feel like in your perspective makes a good student? Um, I would say that really a good student is what you determine it to be. I no, think really. A good student is relative to what your focus is in academia, what your future focus is in academia, in your career. But we all know that there are some boundaries that a student has to recognize. It's a professional boundary that um, works for the best and the good of both the student and the professor. So, again, I, I do think that it's, it's definitive. So Absolutely. And... Um, and your work in the classroom um, I yeah. think speaks, speaks to that as well. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I also think, like, having a yearning to learn more. Um, I know for me, like, I, I love learning, as corny as it sounds. Like, I love just reading things and learning new information. So I also think, like, being able to ingest information and then also take that information and do something with it, you know, like apply it to your life in various ways or like um, just just work with it if that makes sense. Absolutely. Dr. Cynthia Nielsen is an associate professor of sociology at Spelman College. Her teaching and research interests in the areas of sociology, criminology, law, and violence against women support the law and criminology concentration in the college's Department of Sociology. Dr. Spencer's interest in issues of higher education access, gender role socialization, and violence against women frame her research, writing, community service involvement, and public speaking. She has, solved, she has served as a consultant for the Ford Foundation Institutional Transformation Project, the University of Chicago Provost Initiative of, on Minority Affairs, the Agnes Scott College Center for Teaching and Learning, in the Georgia Department of Corrections. In addition to her faculty position at Spelman, Dr. Spence serves as director of the UNCF Mellon program. The Mellon program provides fellowships for students interested in becoming college professors in areas of the humanities, physics, mathematics, sociology, anthropology, and other disciplines employing philosophical or historical analysis. Hello. Hi, Dr. Spence. Yes, I can hear you. Oh. Hi. Hi, Dr. Spence. How are you all? Good. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. We are so, so very grateful to hear you on this call today. Um, So we're just going to go ahead and jump right to it, if you don't mind. Okay. That's fine. (laughs) Perfect. Okay. So I'm going to read my quote now, okay, guys? Okay. Or not my quote, my little statement. Okay. Um, have you 
Have you all ever wondered how your professors perceive you, or in their eyes, what makes a good student? Well, today, we're going straight to the source. This month's episode is called What Makes a Good Student? Interviewing Faculty Lodging. We have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Cynthia Nielsen today, and we'll also review some thoughts from another faculty member we know and love, Dr. Andrea Lewis. Okay, so Dr. Spence, uh, we want to hear from your on roll voice. What do you think students need to know before entering the classroom? Before entering class or before entering development? What did you say? Before entering the classroom. Class. Well, certainly, first of all, I want to congratulate you all on the podcast. And I know that this is the beginning of many interesting um, discussions that you all will carry on the um, Blue Record. When I think about students and the ways in which they enter the space of the classroom, I want to emphasize that the classroom for me is sacred space. You know, Bell Hooks talks about the transformations that can occur within a classroom setting. And she states that the classroom is the most radical space in the academy. And I believe that. I believe that because it is in that space where we can actually change the way that individuals see and know their world. But the only way that we can do that is for students to actually come and be prepared and have, they must read text because the only way that we learn about the ways in which individuals kind of consume knowledge and produce knowledge is to actually be engaged with those who have already done it. And while we don't want to groom students who are going to be regurgitators of knowledge, we want them to be able to consume knowledge and then to place themselves in conversation with the great thinkers, with um, their classmates, with the professor. And so one of the ways that they do that is that they're well-read, that they treat the classroom as sacred and what does that mean? It means that I'm prepared. I enter this space and I know that something very special is going to happen here in this classroom, that I'm going to be engaged with my fellow classmates. I'm going to be engaged in conversations that are facilitated by my professor. And the way that we do that is that we treat it as a serious enterprise. So you must read the assignments. You must be willing to engage with others to share your thoughts. You must be able to demonstrate that you can be in conversation with the scholars that you're being exposed to. And so I call that a scholarly posture. And that means that a scholarly posture doesn't mean that you're sitting up straight, all buttoned up. No, it means that you are entering this sacred, radical space for the very intention to learn, to be a learner, to actually be also a teacher, because it's through the interpretations that students add to the conversation that they teach others. They even teach the professor. So it's a, a, a space of reciprocity also. 
That's a great response, Dr. Spence. Thank you so much. I really love your definition of scholarly posture. Um, whenever, whenever you um, define it for us, thank you so much. So our next question is: um, Well, in Judith Pace and Annette Hemming's article, "Understanding Authority in Classrooms," the scholars observe that the student-teacher relationship is compromised when the teacher is not respected. Can you recall a time when your authority as a teacher was a defining feature in shaping your classroom environment? Well. And so <laughs> I have that happen all the time. <laughs> um, yeah. And the reality is, I think most professors don't want to be viewed as authoritarian, mm -hmm. that we want to be viewed as collaborators. But oftentimes, the experience that a professor brings to a classroom can sometimes be challenged mm -hmm. by students. I don't have that. That's not my experience often. Okay. My experience with authority being challenged is when students don't accept the assignments and don't take responsibility for their learning. And that's when I believe, not that my authority is being challenged, but the authority of the sacred trust that I hope to establish with my students when we begin this journey every semester. There is, in fact, a trust relationship that should exist between student and teacher. And if I'm willing to provide assignments that are going to move a students' understanding from point A to point B, point C to point D, I can't do that alone if the student is not willing to accept the responsibility that they hold as students. Because, again, I talked about reciprocity. This is a reciprocal relationship. And so I don't um, see a lot of challenging of my authority per se, but I do experience students challenging assignments. And when I and it's not that they're saying we shouldn't have this assignment. It's every now and then they just don't do the assignment. And that's just not good because that does, in fact, um, make our relationship a more vulnerable relationship because I don't believe that they're invested. I don't believe that a student is invested in the teaching and learning um, space if they don't do the assignment. This is going to lead me to my next question. In what ways have you seen students at Spelman and in the AUC express their voices? And are there any instances that resonated with you most? You all may know that one of my areas is violence against women. Yes. And, and because that's an area of, um, of some level of specialization and experience, Experience working in the community with organizations that are addressing issues of intimate interpersonal violence, I am very sensitive to the needs and concerns of students at Spelman. When we talk about the levels of violence external to the Spelman community, but internal to the Atlanta University Center. And so I have, um, on numerous occasions, worked with Spelman students to craft their 
statement around violence against women and intimate interpersonal violence on the campus when they don't believe that it's being properly addressed by the authorities, whether that be authorities at Spelman or authorities at our neighboring institutions. Um, that has been um, wonderful, working with students to just help them. They already have the voices. I'm just helping them strategize on how to be strategic in voicing your concerns. So that's one area. Another area is um, last year, or no, year before last, we had a number of students who were very much concerned about housing shortages on campus. And what they thought was a lack of response by the institution to address the challenges of students who had been basically forced to live off campus because the institution accepted more students than normal. And in that instance, juniors and seniors were lost their rooms, rooms that they had, that had been promised to them. And certainly I have to weigh both because I understand that colleges and universities have to make certain decisions that everyone's not going to like. But it was a process issue for me. And because of that, I worked with students to state their concerns to the president, to um, the, D, the VP of Student Affairs and others to say, this, this just should not happen. And, you know, what are we going to do about this? What kinds of allowances can be made for students who are now our commuter students? And what kinds of allowances can be made for students around food and security? So I am a proponent of students taking uh, matters into their own hands. I always emphasize having to do your homework and don't just go out and emote. But once I know that you've done your homework, that you are sincere, and that your questions are valid questions, I will work with you to craft any kind of statements or to actually just be your cheerleader when you are out there taking a stance and also knowing, assuring students that they will have the protection that I will stand and um, stand for them and that I will protect them mm. if they feel that speaking out is going to render them vulnerable in the community. I try to assure them that I will be here. I'm going to stand for you as long as I know that you're doing it properly. It's so refreshing to hear how you will really rally for your students and um, how much you just love and really support them. Um, so for our last question before we run out of time for you is, um, you've been teaching at Spelman for a while now. And so we were wondering, how has your instructing style changed since you first started teaching at Spelman? Um, or has it changed at all? And then just like, what are your reflections of um, your methodology of teaching during your, during your time at Spelman? Yeah, well, well, I have. I've been teaching at Spelman a very long time. And, I know. Um, <laughs> a very, very long time. I love you. Uh, uh -huh. But um, my pedagogy has changed, I hope, um, in response to the students and what's happening in the rest of the world. And I guess the clearest example that I can give you is that I'm not really a big social media person. I am a podcaster. I, you know, I listen to podcasts, uh -huh. but you're not going to find me on Twitter much. You're not going to find me much on Instagram or any uh -huh. of the other social media sites. But yet I know that my students are. 
And so even mm-hmm. for the past year and a half, one of the courses that I've been teaching, uh, My Body, My Choice, that focuses in on reproductive justice issues, I have the students, a uh, part of their assignment is to track discussions about reproductive justice on Twitter and Instagram and um, what's, what's the other one? TikTok. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, TikTok. Mm-hmm. And I do that. And so and so they like doing that. I've changed that assignment uh-huh. because I know that you all are already out there doing it. And so uh-huh. they're teaching me. They'll tell me, oh, Dr. Smith, but see, on TikTok, it's like this. Or on Instagram, it's like this. Or this is how you follow it. Or this is how you would curate the messages. And so that's just an uh-huh. example of something that I do where students are teaching me, but I'm also trying to be very much responsive to who you are and what your world is and to make certain that my teaching is reflective of that and engages the ways in which you all kind of move about in the world. So that's one example. Um, so now I've changed a lot. You know, I, I use, um, they, I started when we were doing blackboards. <laughs> we're right oh, wow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, and so y'all don't even know anything about all of that. But now, you know, everything is online, or I, I do a lot of um, links to articles for students because I, you know, you have to change. You must change. You know, if you're going to stay here and be relevant. Um, I even listen to the music. I will tell you, Uh-oh. my students in social imagination, and you all are going to be um, surprised by this, but I'm going to do an assignment based on it. They kept talking about Sexy Red. Oh. And oh yes, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's so I said, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to Sexy Red so I can see what's going on with Sexy Red. And, you know, oh. I, you know certainly Sexy Red will not be on my playlist, but... But I will, I will engage my students in a conversation about why is why the sexy red, why sexy red, you know, someone that people know, but also what does that reflect about society? You know, what who is what audience is sexy red speaking to? Because as a sociologist, we're always talking about our audiences. So what mm-hmm. is her audience and how does she, how does she construct reality? And so, um, so yeah, I mean, those are just examples of how I try my best to <laughs> tune to what's going on in students' lives and their, um, their minds. And, you know, because you all are, you're full human beings. And so mm-hmm. I need to be aware of that. And I think faculty members need to always be aware that you all are full human beings. And that we mm-hmm. need that we understand how you live out your humanity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Doctor Spence. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh, I want to sit on in on that sexy red class. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm I would love to. Hear, I would love to hear yeah. the perspectives. We're gonna do it. We're <laughs> gonna do it. Um, yeah, and they were surprised that you know students were surprised when I listened to Sexy Red. I was like, what? No, but Dr. <laughs> Dr. Spence, we appreciate, as students, um, well, speaking for myself, I mean, I'd appreciate that. Like, when my um, professors take time to, you know, look at things I'm interested in personally and include it mm-hmm. or introduce it to the world of academia because 
um, everything, you know, it's cut and dry. It can be cut and dry. So we, we appreciate <laughs> that. And, you know, as you know, it could be a way for us to be more engaged in within our work and to look at things differently. Um, so thank yeah. you so yeah. much, Dr. Smith, for all yeah. that you do. We love you so much. Thank you so much. Well, listen, you, I thank you all, and I'm really proud of what you're doing. And I wouldn't be here if I didn't love you. Thank you, Dr. Spence. We love you, too. All right. Okay. You all take care. You do the same. You too. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. We're now going to discuss the reflections of Dr. Andrea Lewis. She's a director of the Student Success Program and Associate Professor of Education at Spelman College. Her professional experiences include elementary school teacher, public and private school administrator, and college and faculty staff. In addition to her work in student success, Dr. Lewis chairs the College Completion Action Team, co-chairs the Campus Assessment, Response, and Evaluation Team, co-directs the International Prestigious Fellowships, and organizes a Cuba study trip through the Gordon Zito Center. A summa cum laude graduate of Spelman College, Dr. Lewis earned her master's degree from the University of Pennsylvania and Interdenominational Theological Center and a doctor from philosophy from Georgia State and the doctor of, excuse me, philosophy from Georgia State University. Yes, we are so grateful that Dr. Lewis was able to send in her answers um, just so we could get another faculty perspective. And so um, one of the questions we asked her was, what is something you want students to know before entering your classroom? And she responded to come ready to learn and be prepared to leave with broader knowledge and also to ground themselves with um, her motivating quote, I expect the best because you are the best. Oh Honestly, gosh. that kind of motivated me. I'm yeah. like, wow, I I am the best. Yeah, the exclamation point, I think, really <laughs> set it off. <laughs> I know, really. <laughs> um, so the next question we asked Dr. Lewis is, do you think that the lack of racial diversity at HBCUs makes it difficult for perspectives on race to vary in your classroom? And she said, no, because Spelman students grew up in countries across the globe. Each has a personal narrative that defines their experiences and opinions centered on diverse topics, including race. And I um, really I really liked her response to that because, um, you know, when I was in high school, I was like, oh, I want to go to HBCUs. And my friends who were black, they were like, oh, I don't want to go to HBCU because, you know, I want something different. You know, I want I want more diversity. And um but there is diversity. Yeah, diversity just here. as Dr. Lewis said. And Literally. I, and I knew that coming, I mean, like, as a high schooler. But I was just like, the people don't know. The people don't know yet. But it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. So, thank you, Chloe. We're going to go ahead and move on to the next question. We asked Dr. Lewis, in Judith and Pace, is Judith Pace and Annette Hemmings' article, Understanding Authority in Classrooms, the scholars observe that student-teacher relationships is compromised when a teacher is not respected. We asked Dr. Lewis if she could recall a time in which her authority as a teacher was a defining feature in shaping her classroom environment. Dr. Lewis responded, I have not been disrespected by Spelman students. I believe they know my heart is genuine and my love for Spelman is in everything I do, including showing tough love. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
as as someone who personally knows Dr. Lewis, I would say that that everything that she res- she responded with is absolutely true. She is extremely loving. She embraces her students, and she does show tough love. Um, it was it's never to the extent where you walk away with your feelings hurt, but you are always walking away feeling empowered. And it is really good to be mm-hmm. a student, senior spellman, knowing that we're surrounded by a community who want us to leave feeling empowered. Absolutely. And yes, thank you to all those professors who show tough love instead of um, just giving us the bad grade. <laughs> like, right. like, you failed. No, I'm just joking. But um, yes, thank, yeah. thank you to all our professors who care. Yeah. Um, so another question we asked Dr. Lewis was, in your opinion, what prohibits one from being a good student? Students are often their own barrier to success. Distractions from social media, fear of missing the latest and best party, unhealthy relationships, not reaching out for help, and lack of time management often cause students to not be their best selves in the classroom. I can attest to this. Uh, <laughs> like, it's, I'm not saying I'm not a good student, but well, I, I mean, Sandra, I get it. What would you say is one mm-hmm. boundary that you feel that has prevented you from being the best of your best as a student? Um, I just, I, I must say I'm a social, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a social girl. I'd say I'm an ambivert, but like I do have FOMO and mm-hmm. I just, it's mostly like, I just love hanging out with my friends. Yeah. Um, I just love them. <laughs> and so yeah. oftentimes to solve that, we'll like do homework together. And then that's like me getting my little socialness and then also seeing my friends. But like, that's I am also so what did you say? Also committing to your work. Yeah. And then also, like, I will say I have fallen victim to TikTok scrolling so many times. <sighs> uh, and it's so easy. <laughs> so so easy. I really would say, like, me, it's too easy. No, I share your... So I- I, I share your experience so so often. yeah oh my gosh okay we don't have to get into the obsession we don't have to get into the addiction no. we don't have to do it no. we need We're a tiktok we need a tiktok anonymous <laughs> group i think no literally and then the last question that we um had from dr lewis was what initially do you to Spellman? and she replied i grew up in a white town and only had a black teacher for 22 days during a middle school industrial arts rotation. I longed to, to see me at school, and Spelman was my place to call home. 22 That's days. crazy. Like, <laughs> That's rough. I know. Like, I'm, I never, I grew up in Ohio, so, like, I didn't have a lot of black teachers, but I had some for more than 22 days. Like, I'm just, that's, that must be really damaging, like, to be a young black girl and literally not see anybody who looks remotely like you. And to be honest, I think that's um, the experience of a lot of people who go to HBCUs, um, specifically spelling, because that's the only um, experience I can speak to. Um, And it's just hearing my friend, well, why are you, friends, why do you want to, why did you kind of get spelling? Because I was the only black person in my class, uh, because I didn't want people to ask about my hair anymore, because, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. That's true. That was your experience. Um, It wasn't my personally, but it's just like, it's like wow, just to hear other people's experiences. So I'm I'm really mm-hmm. happy to hear that Spelman or a student's perspective at HBCU um, mm-hmm. has been a haven for them. 
you know. Mm-hmm. I found this quote in a yearbook from 1966, this Bowman College yearbook from 1966, their Reflections yearbook, on page 110, and it talked about Merrill Scholars. Um, and it said, selection as a Merrill Scholar is the highest honor a student can receive at Spelman. Each year, four students who demonstrate, among other things, exceptional uh, among other things, exceptional ability in academic work and con- commiserate. Uh, commiserate. Oh my gosh, <laughs> um, performance in their contributions to campus life are awarded this honor by an administration faculty committee. So this is an academic excellence program um, that once existed at Spelman College. Um, And it speaks Mm -hmm. to what is acceptable as a student or what they expect from their students um, to be high performers. This is what I'm getting from this. Now, Alex, you are a part of the Ethel Waddell Gitchie Oh, did I pronounce that correctly? The Ethel Waddell Get the Honors Program. Yes, excuse me. I'm I'm so sorry. Uh-huh. I'm so sorry to <laughs> to members of the program as well. Okay. Um, um. So, and the honors program is an academic excellence uh, program. So, I just wanted to hear your perspective of what they what are their expectations of students of the program and have. Mm-hmm. What has your, been your experience to, to performing at such a um, yeah. high academic um, standard? Yeah, um, I think the quote that you read, Chloe, really <clears throat> is like, what does what does the ideal student <clears throat> look like um, in the eyes of administration and faculty? And it really reminds me of kind of like um, the someone has a lot of opportunity for prestigious domestic and international fellowships. And it kind of reminds me of that process. It's like you have to submit all of your, these materials in, in a Google Drive, and then they choose who best um, represents the school, for lack of better words, or like who they believe could compete in the total selection. And so like that's their nomination. Um, but in regards to the honors program, I really enjoy it. And I really do feel like it pushes me to be a better student. We have these, um, we have Pinterest boards where we have to document like honors points, which basically includes like going to um, education events or like if you go to, <clears throat> if you go to um, an event that the social justice program is hosting or like mm-hmm. if you go to the museum or an mm-hmm. academic building or even studying abroad, you get points. And so um, I just really feel like it encourages me to do things I wouldn't normally do in order to earn those points. And then also um, being an honor, you also have to take honors electives, which I literally love so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a class on reality TV last year and then also a class on um, women in social resistance movements, both were which were amazing, and I learned so much. Um, but I definitely would going back to like your initial question, your point. I definitely would say the honors program is kind of similar to the Merrill program, but I think the Merrill program obviously was like way more selective, just because it was like only four, four students. students. Um, so maybe it could almost be compared to like summa cum laude or um, or like 
the honor societies, I guess, but I don't really know how they work. Like Phi Beta Kappa and everything. Um, because it's like an induction to like an honor society. I understand. And thank you so much for your wonderful perspective. I've seen, so I've had assignments at the um, High Museum before, and I can't tell you how many people I've seen there. I'm like, why are you here? Oh, I had an assignment for the... <laughs> For, for the uh-huh. art program, um, while well, I was oh, also uh-huh. there for an assignment for my art history, so I'm like, ah, fair. But um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I know the work you all do there is absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for your perspective on um the expectations and how it um builds you up. You know, you you put thank into you. it and how much you get back from it. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. Sure. Um, so thank you I, I all would, that can wait wait for oh, the, sorry, go ahead wait for the, for off the off the record can i can i um say this quote the, the other quote i found that was talking about yeah go ahead um okay back on the record okay so i found um lastly i found another quote from another yearbook um the it's from 1968 and this quote was just like sitting on a page by itself um and it says the learning process is one that is dependent upon several factors it is of primary importance that an institution have both a capable faculty and a group of students who have demonstrated the ability to learn the student must be able to apply this newly acquired knowledge if the process is to be deemed a successful one during the course of her educative experience i mean development the spelman young woman learns that it is possible to learn in a variety of environments i know some of the languages you know uh, we we Mm. um, speak differently a little differently now this was 1968 but but it's a good representation of what spelman has always been and always expected of its students and faculty and faculty and staff. Yeah. Um, I agree. Too. I think it is extremely reflective of the uh, interdisciplinary nature that Spelman sh- kind of like drives into us. So it, it shapes students and contours students on a path where we're not just interested in one field or one subject. It explores the various lenses of life. And that honestly is what makes a good student, a student who wants to learn. Absolutely. Oh, that was a great summary. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let that quote marinate, guys. And thank you all so much for having us for your For the Record episode. And we will see you all next month. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.